Hey, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, John Blahoyanakos, and we're here with a very special guest, Terry Boudrum. Now, Terry is a registered psychotherapist in Burlington, Ontario. Shout out to my, you know, we're somewhat local, um, helping high achievers overcome their fear of failure and self-doubt. And honestly, this episode, I'm excited for it because I know it's things that I've definitely faced. You brought up a few good points uh, before we hit the record on what to talk about. So I think this is super timely, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. Um, especially going into the holiday season with eating, exercise, mindset, that sort of thing. So before we dig into the meat and potatoes of the episode, for those that don't know you, and plus I'd love to get to know you a little bit more, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me, John. And I'm so excited to to be here and be talking about this. So important and so relevant at this time of year, like you said. Um, my cat's making a bit of an appearance here. This is Benny. Um so as you mentioned, I'm a registered psychotherapist. Um, I've been working with clients since January of 2022. I can't believe it's going to be two years next month. It's crazy. Um, this wasn't always my life. As I said, uh, it's only been about two years. Prior to this, I was in the insurance industry as an insurance broker. And I just really had an awakening at that time where I wasn't doing what was making me happy. I wasn't connecting with what I was really passionate about. And I think a lot of that was very based and rooted in fear. Um, so the pandemic hit in 2020 and I kind of made a little pivot and thought, okay, let me step outside my comfort zone and do something that I'm really passionate about. Um, so I took the leap. I went back to my uh, to do my master's uh, in counseling psychology and uh, graduated and opened my private practice. Um, and so now I focus on working with individuals to help them through their fear of failure, self doubt, and it's been really fulfilling. That's amazing. Yeah, what a what a pivot you made too, right? So what 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 made you? What was the what was the shift the trigger that made you want to go like okay I want to help people with this like how did that come about? Yeah, so I think I think it's it's kind of a long story. Um, I remember when I was in grade five, so it would have been about ten years old, and the teacher had us do a project, and the project was to create a doppelganger. And doppelganger, for those who don't know, is a German word, and it basically means like a shadow, so something that looks like you but isn't your twin, right? And the teacher said, I want you to create this doppelganger as the adult version of yourself, how you see yourself in the future. And mine was very different from the rest of the kids in the class. So I had dri- I had draw- drawn, drew, I had drew like uh, a picture of me, like pretty much how I look today, right? Hair done, right? It was very stylish. Um, and the things around me were like a big house, lots of money, Um, I remember my car that I chose was a Bentley GT coupe. Um, so the other kids kind of had different things on theirs. Like they had modest homes or some were dressed up like doctors or firefighters, like all of these things. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't really know what I want to be. And that's really normal for a 10 year old. But I remember thinking, well, as long as I'm successful, by society standards, as long as I have money, the big house, right, all these status symbols that we associate with success, then I'll be worthy and I'll be lovable. And that's all I want. And so that doppelganger image really stuck with me 
probably until my mid twenties. And, you know, I was checking all the boxes. I was getting all the things that I wanted, but I wasn't happy. And I was stuck in this mentality of, okay, if I just check this box, then that'll be it. I'll be good. And I would check that box and I'd be like, oh, I'm still not happy. So eventually I decided, okay, there has got to be another way. I've got to try something different because working harder isn't getting me what I want. Um, And so, you know, I kind of went on this discovery journey and with a lot of help and support, I turned inward and figured out what was really important to me. What did I really want and what did success mean for me? And that was such a pivotal moment for me because it allowed me to come into my authentic self and show up in the world the way that I want to. And that's translated into the work that I do today, helping other people find out who they are and who they actually want to be. That's amazing. It's it's so hard. It's so hard to know, right? When we, when we talk about success, if I go back in time, 2017, 18, when I was starting a, you know, a couple of years in the business, I'm like, yeah, like I want to, I'm setting these targets, setting these targets, but I'm like, I don't even know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And then I got there and I was like, okay, cool. Like I hit the goal, but then I don't know if you're like this at all, if you know anybody, but you know, if you, you hit the goal and then you, and then you widen the goalposts and then you yes. widen the goalposts and you widen yes. the goalposts. It's like, you're never satisfied. I don't find it happens as much in fitness, at least the clients that I'm working with, but I know with careers and, and anyone that's a business owner, it's very, very easy to just keep widening the goalposts so you're never satisfied. And so you sit down and be like, look, maybe it's not just, maybe it's not a financial goal. Maybe it's a, how do I want to live my life? And I think that's, that was huge for me this year more than anything else. Um, but yeah, I, I want to know more about how, how you help people with that stuff. Cause I think it's, it's so important. Yeah. And I, I love that analogy of the widening goalposts, right? For me, it was always the check boxes. Like, okay, I've done this now. What are we going to replace it with, right? What's next? Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people can find themselves caught up in those goalposts, whether it be fitness or, you know, their work. And the thing about it is to really separate yourself from the goal, right? Where it becomes problematic is when you're attaching your identity and your worth to achieving that goal, right? So what I help people to do is detach from that, right? To build their self-esteem in isolation of their achievements, their title, their salary, right? Because those things could all change tomorrow. Those things in a lot of ways are out of our control. And if we're basing our value and our self-worth on those things that are so kind of all over the place, well, then we might be in trouble if those things go away, right? Yeah. And oftentimes what happens is when we reach those goalposts, we're still feeling very empty anyways, because we don't have that foundational self-worth kind of built in. It's almost like um, the analogy that comes to mind for me is, is people that put all their emphasis and time in their career with none left over for themselves because mm-hmm. that's their that's where they value lies for them, right? It's like, okay, this is my, this is my job. This is my title. This is my income. I'm not saying those things aren't important, but as you said, like, I mean, what, what does quality of life become? I recognize that with myself, right? I, I run my own business. I mentor in another business and I have two kids and it's like, I don't want to work all the time. 
Mm. It's not one of those things where, yeah, work is important and I want to provide, but to what cost, to what end? So it came to me, it was since last year, I believe I started implementing was just, I don't work on Sundays. It's one of those things that will not, I haven't taken calls on the weekends in I think almost two years. It's just one of those things that I needed that for me, but also Mm -hmm. for those around me. And I do think those shifts are hard for people because I mean, we could talk about that too, is, is you brought up perfectionism before we started hit recording or the all or nothing of like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm all in this no matter what it's like horse yeah. with blinders on, which can be beneficial at times. But I think in the long run, it leads to things like burnout. It leads to things like you just, you're quitting um, and, or you just don't pursue uh, anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, determining what your motivation is behind those behaviors is really important. Are you hyper-focused? Are you pouring all your energy into something that's really meaningful for you, is helping you meet your goals because you want to improve? Or is the meaning behind that, I don't feel good enough, I'm not enough, I need to prove myself? Because that's where the burnout is going to come in, I think, right? Is if you've got those different mentalities. Can we talk about that a little bit more? Because I, so I have ADHD. We and I have talked about it before. I'm in the, in the headspace very, very often of, I can't relax. I Mm. can't really. And I, I have a hard time having downtime and not feeling guilty about the downtime. Yeah. My loophole to that is you know my son and i can play like hockey downstairs together or we'll play like nintendo switch so that Love way that. i'm legitimately having downtime but i need an accountability buddy essentially to do so how do you help people with that of like they, they feel like they always have to be doing something or they're wasting time or they're gonna fail or something like that Hmm. Yeah, great question. And I love how you've kind of pivoted, right? Um, so really, what I help people with is reframing, redefining what it means to be productive, right? Because we forget that rest is productive, right? You You go to sleep at the end of every day. That's rest, right? And so if you don't sleep, you're not going to be your best self the next day, right? And so we have to build in little periods of rest. That is productive. Right. But it's very hard to do when, you know, we are, you know, busyness keeps us safe. Right. If we're if we're stuck into something, we don't have to a be in touch with what's going on with us internally. And B, the more we're producing, the more people can validate that. Right. So resting, we're not producing anything tangible. Nobody's seeing that. And so it can feel really uncomfortable. And part of my work is to help people through sitting with that discomfort and trying to, you know, just just push through because on the other side, it's so rewarding. But it's hard. Mindfulness, rest is hard. But sometimes it's not just about rest, but it's about fun and play. Sometimes that's what we need because when you're a perfectionist, life is taken so seriously. Like it seriously sucks the fun out of everything. Right. And so just having that time to play, to laugh, to 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 kind of evoke your inner child is huge. Right. So I love the fact that you take some time to to play some hockey with your with your kids. Right. That's probably really refreshing for you. That's great. It's a it's it's fun to connect with him in one instance. And then it's it just it takes my brain away from 
everything else for 20 to last week. This past week, I had like a 40 minute game. It was nonstop. I'm like, this nice. kid has no, <laughs> no stop in him. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's tough, right? Because like the old me would, you know, four o'clock would come and it's supposed to be cut off time. But I'm like, okay, well, I know I can make content for tomorrow, right? I can go message the people. You know, what messages do I have? Do I check my emails? You know, I can, there's always, that's the thing. There's always something to do. Mm-hmm. And I've had a good friend of mine have me like stop, like, look, like, have you ever stopped to zoom out a little bit? Right. So if anyone is is listening to this and you are a business owner, especially, but if you, if you're working for certain goals, like if you're not stopping to enjoy what you've worked so hard for. Yes. Do it because it, it, or it's just, it's going to pass you by or else what's the point? Cause even myself, I'm, I'm, this is one of the most successful years I've ever had. Great. Like awesome. But there've been times where I'm like, why am I miserable? Like I feel mm. like shit right now. I'm like, what is, what is happening here? So this, and this conversation selfishly is, is good timing for me too. <laughs> but how do you help people with that? Of like, it's, it's to go, 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 go stop and make the shift because i think making the shift i mean in general change is hard but making the shift Mm -hmm. of relaxing resting enjoying the fruits of your labor how do you get especially the perfectionists to do that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so um a lot of psychoeducation so understanding you know what perfectionism is where it comes from and and how they're using it to protect them so i talked about how perfectionism keeps us safe it's a coping mechanism um, so, so it's really complex because we unpack, you know, what they're coping with, what are some of their core beliefs about themselves that are kind of perpetuating this profession, perfectionistic behavior. Um, and then in terms of strategies, you know, it's about starting small because this is a new skill, right? Resting downtime. It's new for a lot of people and it's hard. So I always encourage people to take, you know, if they look at their week is there even a 10 minute period in their schedule that they can carve out as them time? And it could be for a mindfulness practice. It could be for a walk. It could be for yoga, anything that they want to do. 10 minutes that we schedule together and they protect that time like you wouldn't believe. 10 minutes. And it's really effective because most people can fit in 10 minutes a week. I love that. And I think, I don't know if you've noticed this, but working with, you know, people over the last few years, those that are working from home full time, they're working more hours than ever, mm-hmm. which is, is so messed up, right? Because if they were in the office, they wouldn't be working as much as they're working from home. Yeah. So the perfectionism, I'd love to dig into this. There's two ways I'm seeing it. One is they're working nonstop because partially the demands of the job, partially because, you know, they want to be good at what they do. So they have no, they make no time or not enough time for themselves to workouts, meal prep, cooking, things like that. Other side of the perfectionism is those that are in the gym all the time, nonstop, but they have a bad week, have a bad day. They're completely, you won't see them again for another month or so, right? So it's that mm-hmm. flip, flip the script, which uh, we can start with maybe the first one of you talked about mapping out 10 minutes a day on the fitness side of things. Let's say the perfectionism of, Hey, I'm, I'm on my diet or I'm off my diet. I'm in the gym seven days. Or I'm not in the gym at all. How do you help people with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you're talking about is really this all or nothing 
thinking pattern. So we call that a cognitive distortion. And perfectionism is a cognitive distortion as well. Um, and basically, that just means any thought that's really unhelpful, right? And it's not really logical because when you say, yeah, I've had a, a bad week uh, diet-wise, so I'm just going to throw in the towel completely. Well, that's not helpful for anybody, right? But we we get stuck in that, you know, I know because I've been there, we get stuck in that mindset so easily. So it's about, again, having the awareness of how often is this actually happening, right? Um, so oftentimes with clients, I'll have them write down how often they're kind of trapped in this all or nothing thinking with kind of how can they reframe that to be more logical, to be more helpful for them, right? So an example might be if we look at that that same thought, okay, I've had a bad diet week, so I might as well throw in the towel to say, well, maybe I've had an off week, right? So we're not going to call it a bad week. We're not going to label it. And that's another thing is the judgments, right? That that's That's problematic in and of itself. To say I've had an off week, that's okay. So introducing that self-compassion piece, because there's a lot of shame and guilt around the things that we're not able to do, right? And then saying, I can start again. Sounds so much more empowering. Mm -hmm. Is there a major difference between all or nothing and perfectionism? There is. What's the biggest, mm -hmm. what's the, because I guess, yeah, I lump them in in the same, but I guess they're not. So there's, there's all sorts of types of uh, cognitive distortions, but the main difference is with perfectionism, it's a fear of failure. It's a fear of success. It's hmm. a fear of negative judgment. It's low self-esteem. It's procrastination. It's, it's all of these things. So it's, it's really complex. And all or nothing thinking tends to be really dominant as part of perfectionism because we see things kind of in a box. It either is or it isn't, mm -hmm. right? Looks My workout easier. is 60 minutes. It's strength training at this location at this time. And if it doesn't fit perfectly into this box, then we can't make it work. Hmm. And every single thing is like that, which that's is brutal. tough. Yeah, that's really hard. I've yeah. heard of I've heard of perfectionism more of from a procrastination standpoint of like if, if it's not exactly this way that I'm not doing it type of thing or you know this has to look a certain way before I can go do that would that be another example of it as well yes absolutely per perfectionism or sorry procrastination is a huge symptom I call it of perfectionism for sure um, high attention to detail fear of making mistakes wanting things to sort of be just so before you you dive in um, and it can be really debilitating because it keeps you from taking action right there were so many things that i just never did or held back on because i was so scared about how that would be perceived on the other side or i was so scared to fail or to make a mistake and that took away so many years of my life of doing the things that were really important to me and I hear that same story over and over and over again in my office. It's, it's really insane how much this impacts people. It's, it's super interesting because I don't think it's talked about enough. Because fear of failure, I think we can all wrap our heads around it. Failure is one of those things. I think the human brain is just, it's, it's burned in there. We know what, it's, we know what it feels like. Mm -hmm. We're never going to forget. Fear is one of those things. It's, a, it's a, the biggest motivator, right? What's, 
how does someone have a fear of success? I think I've seen it with with weight loss clients. It's interesting because, and for, so from my perspective, I guess if they're let's say they're married and you know them and their spouse, let's say they both want to lose thirty pounds, but the spouse doesn't want to do anything about it. Mm. But they want to take action. So, but is it there a fear? Do you think of if they if they lose the twenty thirty pounds and they start feeling better about themselves, start eating differently, going to the gym more, that there's a fear. The success is there, but the fear of their relationship with their spouse might change for the worse. Mm-hmm. That's is that an example of what we're looking at there? It is. It's a it's a one of the examples of how fear of success shows up. So in the example that you're talking about, this fear of stepping into this new identity, abandoning your old self, um, kind of shedding that skin, if you will, and and kind of this metamorphosis, that's really scary because people who know you, who love you based on that identity, and it's like, well, are they still going to love me in this new identity, right? Or am I still going to love them in this new identity? Like that is really scary, right? And the other piece of fear of success is now if I'm successful, I have to keep showing up. I have to keep performing. Now I have to perform on bigger stages, doing bigger things, right? And so perfectionism tends to get louder as these big things come up. And so that can be really scary for someone dealing with perfectionism. That's so interesting, especially I would argue if if they've never been there before, they don't know what it what it looks like, what it feels like, what life is like at that point. Like, I mean, it's a business example, but, you know, when I reached the targets I was talking about for so long, I had no idea what the problems that were, that were going to come with that or how busy I was actually going to be until I got there and then worked through it. But I don't I don't have a perfectionist mindset. I think I'm very much of just let's do the thing as best I can. I mean, I do have ADHD and I think we should talk about that, too, of eating eating and exercise this time of year i think is is more where i want to take this because it's it can be very very challenging right mm-hmm. uh, i mean if you're in ontario like we are it's cold you, it's you dark you it oh my it's dark early <laughs> you don't want to go anywhere you don't want to go outside you you just you want to cuddle up in a ball and eat some of your favorite foods i don't mm-hmm. blame you um how how do we help people heading into we'll call it the darkest time of year for some of us um yeah with their with their eating and exercise if they're facing things like fear of failure, fear of success, perfectionism, or ADHD even. Yeah. I love that you brought up ADHD because I think there's been a massive shift. There's definitely been, you know, ADHD has been brought to light, you know, I would say, especially in 2020 when the pandemic hit. Um, the research has really shifted around ADHD. The understandings of ADHD were, you know, the seven-year-old boy bouncing off the walls. And that's involved a, uh, evolved a lot. And, you know, in the way that it shows up in women. And so we've seen a huge influx in women, you know, seeking out diagnosis and getting late diagnoses of ADHD, you know, from 2020 to today and, and still today, you know, trying to get an ADHD diagnosis is very difficult for sure. Um, And ADHD and perfectionism are connected. And a lot of people don't realize that connection. So in 50% of people with ADHD, they have anxiety. And the biggest cognitive distortion of anxiety is perfectionism. So that's huge. 
So with ADHD, it's a dopamine deficit disorder, meaning, yeah, we have naturally we have naturally low levels of dopamine. So we do everything we can to try and get that dopamine. So you sprinkle in, you know, shorter days, colder temperatures, right? Dopamine is at an all-time low, right? So you're going to be doing everything you possibly can to get that dopamine, but you don't want to derail your goals, right? So what I suggest is really, and, and another part of ADHD is that we sometimes have difficulties reading our bodily cues. So things like hunger, we can't always tell that we're hungry. We can't always tell that we're thirsty. We can't always tell that we're tired. So it's important to get in touch with what's actually going on for me. So if you're feeling the need to kind of reach for that snack, and I'm thinking about those late nights, right, where you're like kind of snacky, before you do, which can be really, really hard because there's there can be an impulsive piece as well, but to just take a second and be really mindful and ask yourself, on a scale of zero to 10, how hungry am I? So zero would be not hungry at all. 10 would be absolutely starving. And of course, we never want to be there. If you're a five, then you're content. You don't need to, to have that snack, right? If you're a three, okay, maybe you're a little hungry and, and you can have, have something or you should have something, right? But really getting in touch with what is going on for me right now? Am I actually hungry? That am I actually hungry question is probably one of the most important, but also sometimes one of the hardest, especially with ADHD. I mean, we do have impulse control at times. And if we're looking for the dopamine fix, I mean, I think nothing's going to get it faster than, uh, especially holiday chocolate. And if I got that laying around, <laughs> um, which is another, I guess it's another uh, tip we can talk about, but I think self-awareness is something that I'm trying to bring up more and more on the podcast and content because I do feel like now more than ever, I mean, we, we've always kind of been go, 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 but it's, it's worse now. There's yeah. so much to worry about, so much to take care of multitasking, which is something I actually think maybe we can talk about as well as used to be applauded as, you know, a great thing to be able to do. But I think the more and more the research comes out, it's actually more harmful than anything else. It's not beneficial at all. So if we're doing all these things all the time, all day, yeah, you're, you're going to miss bodily cues. And mm -hmm. you're not going to stop yourself to, to breathe and think and just have that conscious, you know, what am I feeling in this moment kind of kind of thing. Um, and again, yeah, with the sun kind of not being out much, it's even more important to, you know, maybe take a midday. Sometimes I'll just open up my back door, even if there's snow and just like open it up and step outside for two minutes yeah. Just to soak in some sunlight because, yeah, I mean, I mean, I work in a basement. This light is artificial as hell. <laughs> if I'm up before the sun, go to, you know, the kids are home. And before we used to take post dinner walks as a family, it's dark as hell out there now after yeah. uh, after five o'clock. So that's not happening either. So the mindfulness piece and just stopping yourself is is one of the most crucial things you can do, I would argue, for sure. It's huge, John, because you can't change what you don't know. Right. If you're just mind mindlessly eating or mindlessly, you know, working, um, you're not in touch with what's happening for you. Right. And on to your point about multitasking, we're so used to being hyperstimulated all the time. 
right? We're, we're watching TV in the evening and, you know, everyone's scrolling on their phone, right? And that's where the eating comes in too. We're used to doing multiple things at once. So we're sitting on the couch watching TV and we're snacking. So unitasking, which is doing one thing at a time, is often a challenge I give to my clients. Sit at the dinner table. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Sit at the dinner table. Don't be on your phone. Don't watch TV. Pay attention to the food that you're eating. You know, what are the textures? What are the tastes? What are the flavors? And it's hard. I don't sell these as easy tasks at all because they're not. Mm-hmm. especially if you're neurodiverse. Mindfulness is really tricky, not impossible, but really tricky. It takes so much more effort for me to be present and like really hone in on the moment than anything else. I could I could very easily do this and answer an email and look at what needs cleaned over there versus like just being able to zone into a conversation at dinner. I, saw, I, and I don't know if this is related at all to ADHD, but I eat my food like someone's going to take it away. <laughs> And it's so, so dinners with the family are so hard because like I'll eat, I'll be done and I'll be sitting there. My phone's not at the dinner table because we don't allow that. But I'm just like twiddling my thumbs and trying to like not move on to the next thing I will go want to go do. I want to go clean up. I want to go do this. Mm. But being mindful of the table with my kids and my wife, it's hard <laughs> when I'm already done eating. Is, is, is speed, I'll call it speed eating. Is that a part of ADHD or that's just completely separate habit? It totally can be. Um, people with ADHD express feeling like they're being driven by a motor sometimes. Uh, and so eating can definitely be a part of that. Um, and, you know, in those cases, just really inviting you to, to slow down, to, you know, really chew your food, really taste it, really, you know, just, just embrace that eating experience. Because eating is an experience. Right. It's it's for satiation and to fuel us, but it's also an experience. But a lot of us are just missing that completely. Yep. Well, my lunches, I'm usually scrolling Instagram and eat my lunch or watching something on YouTube and eat my lunch. Yes, I'm very guilty, very bad at that. Guilty um, too. <laughs> yeah. When it when it comes to eating into the holidays, what are some quick tips you have for people who maybe struggle with the impulse of the snacking or the chocolate? or even just staying on track with their with their food this time of year? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The first thing I would just say is that if this is new to you, if, if mindfulness, mindful eating is new to you, go easy on yourself because the holidays are really the ultimate boss uh, scenario. It's kind of, you know, right there in the deep end. So if this is new to you, this is maybe not the most ideal time to fully practice this skill. You don't have to be perfect at it, of course. Um, And so if it's not new to you, I would say, you know, again, just trying to be very aware of what's going on for you. Are you actually hungry? Are you just eating because it's in front of you? Right. And take some time to reflect if you can, you know, I, I say to clients, check in with yourself when you go to the bathroom. So when you go to the bathroom, check in with yourself, how am I feeling? How am I doing? right? If I'm feeling like I'm bored, if I feel like I'm tired, if I feel like I'm sad, happy, right? uh, Holidays can kind of bring up all kinds of complex emotions. Am I trying to soothe that with food? And if I am, is there something different that I can, I can do and be prepared with some of those strategies. What are some other things that you can do? 
I've seen some people um, create dopamine menus, which I think is amazing. So like, you know, um, pet my cat, snuggle my dog, go for a walk, call a friend, like different things like that. So having those strategies prepared ahead of time so that you can quickly pivot to something that's going to make you feel good, but it's not going to derail your fitness goals. I love that. I mean, I I jump on top of that with <clears throat> if your house, if if it's impossible for you to keep treats out of the house, don't keep them out and about. If you see them, you will eat them. You will walk by and eat them. The amount of pictures I have over the years of like the amount of chocolate we gather at Christmas time, gifts for me, gifts for my wife, gifts for my kids, and just from every family member, it's it's so much. To where this mm-hmm. year I told everyone, I'm like, just don't buy me chocolate. I really, yeah. I enjoy it. Cool. But I don't need a small Ten army's pounds. worth. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, what am I going to do with that? Right. I'm, I'm going to eat it. So that's my mentality. The other, the other part of me with eating is I have to finish it. If there's one, if I go to get two cookies out of a package and that leaves one cookie in the package, there's no way I'm leaving a single cookie in the package. No. I have to finish. I have to finish the package. It's just like, okay, that way it's, it's gone. So then with holiday chocolates, I come in, I feel like I have to be the finisher and and clean it all out, which is terrible for me. So I'd rather just keep most of it out. And what does come in, it's a way it's hiding out of eyesight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great, great strategy, right? Know, know your triggers, essentially. If, if you know, and again, we come back to the awareness piece. If you know that you can't keep stuff in the house, I'm, I'm totally guilty of that. If there's chocolate, if there's cookies, if they're chips, demolished. Like there, there's no, there's no self-control. And I understand that that's not a, a me thing, right? This isn't about willpower. Um, it's about, you know, doing things that are effective. So I know having those things in the house aren't going to be effective for me. And so I limit that and I still allow myself to have it. But guess what? If I really want it, then I have to leave the house to go and get it. Love that. Yep. I had a mentor say that. He's like, we don't keep anything in the house. If you really want it, we'll go down the street to the convenience store and just buy one. Because I do think willpower is one of those things that the more you use it, you're just it it adds to how, how drained you already feel. Like if you mm-hmm. already are tired this time of year, you're working hard, it's dark, and every night you're fighting with yourself whether you should or should not indulge, that takes a toll. I think maybe people don't understand like the mental energy it takes to keep fighting yourself on should I, shouldn't I. I've had those mental battles of like I would have the pizza order ready to go on my phone and then I'll close the browser and then go make something. Like It's one mm-hmm. of those things where if you can have those mental battles less setting your environment for success, I think it it steamrolls into more habit base and it just becomes a part of your identity, I would say, instead of that constant battle with yourself. Mm -hmm. I love that. Remove the barriers that are going to wear you out, right? Even things like, you know, ordering food, skip the dishes or whatever. I know that at the end of the day to come home and make a meal is draining. Like there's probably nothing I I do a million other things before I do that. I know that about myself. And so I don't shame myself for that. I don't try and become this master chef in the evening. I just, I just plan around that. Okay. What's the best way to get nutritious meals? So we've started doing the meal delivery kits, right? 
just roll with what you got rather than trying to to will yourself into doing something that you really, really, really don't want to do because it's not going to work. It's true. It's almost like setting up an impossible task. Like I love the Instagram reels of people cooking and stuff where they're like highly, you know, professional and look like I'm like these look amazing and I'll save them never making them. <laughs> so, so one of those things that it's a, it's like a pipe dream that'll never exist. And it's cool. I'm okay with it now, but there was a point of like, I would love to just make some new food and then every week would come and go and I'm eating the same boring shit. And I'm like, well, I don't have the mental energy to grab, gather 20 ingredients to spend two hours, you know, three times a week in the kitchen. That's not it for me. So I've toyed with the meal prep service for our family. I think we'd have to really figure out the dynamic with that stuff because the kids are picky. Um, but it's like, if I have meat in the, if I have meat cooked, done deal, that's easy. I can roll with it. If I don't, for me, that's when I struggle with, okay, what am I eating? Last night that came up, I ended up, I was like, oh, I'm just going to have like a peanut butter sandwich. I'm like, what the fuck? What is this? Like, what this? That's not dinner. So I ended up making a tuna sandwich instead. So it at least got some protein in, but it's, yeah, I mean, we all, I think have that battery and this time of year, it's easy to get it drained. Um, the other piece, cause I'd love to jump to that is the exercise side, right? Mm-hmm. Which can fill up the battery but also can potentially drain the battery depending on, on your approach. Totally, totally. And I think, you know, we talked about putting ourselves in that box, right? If we have a certain idea of what exercise looks like, I will say the research shows that 20 minutes of intense exercise has, you know, is what you need for peak mental health benefits, right? So it depends why you're exercising, right? A lot of people are saying, you know, fat loss, muscle gain, right? But there's so many other benefits, mental benefits, health benefits overall. Um, It's just, it's just so, so good. And so I want people to kind of reframe the holidays as a time to relax and a time to restore and a time to take care of themselves, right? So whether that involves eating nutritiously, obviously enjoying a little bit because we should do that throughout the year. The holidays aren't a special time, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But also, you know, feeling your body, incorporating some movement, and it doesn't have to be, you know, a 60 minute training session at the gym. It can be, you know, going for a walk in your in your block around the block and and getting some fresh air. I love that. Yeah, I'm in a mental space right now where I just need to work out a few times a week just to feel good. Like I don't have and this is this is backwards from what I tell most people, but I don't have a, a set program right now. I'm more in the space of I just need to do something. Mm-hmm. I, the sets and reps I can play around with because I've, I've been doing this for long enough. The weight is challenging enough where I know. But it's more like I'm following the program that I built for my wife because she's my accountability partner down here. We're like, okay, what are we working on today? Let's just, I'll run through that with you. That's fine. And it's been great. Like, I just, I, I need it for my, my mental health. My overall energy as well is better when I'm exercising because I do it 930 in the morning after the kids are dropped off. And I don't know about you, Terry, but I can't work out after like four that's I'm the I'm same. 9.30 is yeah. my workout time too. Nice. Yeah. yeah. In the evening, the only exception for that is hockey. Hockey's always nighttime, which is great. It's another mental release, but it's more, yeah, if you're, I think one of the biggest things too, because I mean, as you're listening to this, it's December 6th or 7th, whenever you, when you get to listen to it, like the next four weeks, you might not see a massive like body composition change. If you want to lose fat, nothing wrong with that. Want to build muscle, nothing wrong with that. 
I think it's important just to maintain the habits you've built this year. If you've been working out this year consistently, don't stop because of, you know, it's going to be a higher calorie period. On average, I would say December, especially for, for my U.S. people listening, like you just Thanksgiving just passed, right? You had that. We had that in October. We were okay. But <laughs> this time of year, like work Christmas parties, social events, get togethers, alcohol is higher than ever. Calories yeah. are higher than ever. I would argue it's the worst time to get to stop your movement consistency, right? If you've been working out all year, prioritize that. That's one of those things of like, it has to go in the calendar first. So that way, if your calories are up and you do have fat loss goals, at the very least, you'll be in a maintenance mode for a couple of weeks, which is way better than just completely saying, screw it. I'm just going to do whatever for two weeks straight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's a great reminder to, you know, keep up with your, with your consistency and, and try not to fall into that all or nothing thinking that, yeah, even if you're drinking a little bit more, even if you're eating, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy and chocolate, um, doesn't mean that, you know, you just throw in the towel and give up and say, screw it all. Um, because there's still benefits to be gained from moving your body. Um, not just from a, a fat loss perspective, but mental health wise as well. Absolutely. Do you have any other, um, tips, strategies for people heading into this, uh, this time of year, those that struggle with perfectionism, all or nothing with food and, and exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, I love what you said there, John, and, and it reminded me in terms of your wife being your accountability buddy. Um, for people who are neurodivergent, especially having a body double that we call body double is really helpful. So kind of having a, an accountability buddy to help you stay on track with your goals and even, you know, just their presence can make doing things easy. So for example, going for a walk, if your partner or friend wants to join you on a walk, that can make it easier for you to do that. So really relying on your supports over the holidays to kind of keep you on track with your goals. And also if you fall off a little bit, to instead of shaming and guilting yourself about it, introduce self-compassion instead, because that's going to help you get back on track. The shame and the guilt is not. It's true. I don't think anyone's ever benefited from making themselves feel bad over, uh, over missing a workout or eating too much at a meal, right? We do that to ourselves. I don't know if it's just a, a reflex or, or if it becomes habitual, maybe, maybe Terry, you know more about this than I would, but what is it about? Like we automatically go to oh, like, oh, I missed my workout. It's like, um, I suck. Mm. Like, this is awful. Like, why do I even bother? Like, why, why do we fall into that trap so often? Mm -hmm. I think that there are several reasons for that. I think we live in a society that wants us to be hypercritical of ourselves all the time and see ourselves as the problem. Uh, so that's huge. Um, upbringing can have an influence on that as well. Um, but we look to things that we can control in order to fix the problem and we can control ourselves. And so if we blame ourselves, then we can fix it. And that's absolutely true. We can fix it. But if we blame ourselves and criticize ourselves, that's not going to be the best pathway to fix it or correct it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, we, we can be our own biggest problem, but yes. we are our own biggest solution. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's the flip side of that coin. It's just, where are you spending more time? Right. I, I had a client message me yesterday. He was like, look, man, Thanksgiving was rough. I had a rough week. Sorry. I didn't check in. You know, I missed these workouts and stuff. I'm like, look, man, I'm not here to make you feel bad. It's just, 
what are some takeaways that you could have that you learned from this past week and you know how do we apply moving forward because i think for anyone listening to this if you if you haven't been on a fat loss journey or, or fitness journey long enough you're going to face shit multiple times like the, and it's going to be the same things that come up holidays every year they happen <laughs> we know when they're coming things will happen having an attack plan for the next time that it might happen is one of you know one of the best things you can do because you face it once you learn from it, take a note, and you move forward. So that way, the next time you're, you're equipped to handle whatever's thrown at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stop wasting energy on, you know, throwing yourself a pity party, right? Yeah. Saying, saying that totally with love, but not to, to sugarcoat anything, right? You, you spend so much time in that place of being critical instead of using that energy to understand what went wrong, how can I make this better for next time? How can I, you know, move on? Agreed. hundred percent. Before we wrap this up, I'm going to put you on the spot for one, one golden nugget to leave the audience with. Oh my goodness. Okay. That's tough. I feel like there's been a lot of nuggets throughout here. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, one last one. Oh, one last one. Um, I would say you are in control no matter what. And to remember that you can either be your biggest, biggest critic, big, biggest, oh my goodness, I can't speak. Biggest criticizer or your biggest cheerleader. You get to choose. I love that. That's a big one. Terry, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Shared, you shared a ton. Um, I'll probably have this one on repeat. I don't listen to many of my own episodes, but you dropped a few things that I could definitely use in my own life. Where can uh, where can listeners find you? I'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, uh, Therapy with Terry. Uh, there's a few great free resources there for people along with social media content for sure. Um, the free resources I have are a quiz to understand if you are actually struggling with perfectionism. There's a lot of misconceptions around what perfectionism actually is. Um, And we've talked about awareness being the key in this podcast episode a lot. So that tool is available for free. The other tool I have is a weekly email, um, Love Letters for Go-Getters. So if you're a high performer looking for some empowerment, support um, in your inbox every week, I encourage you to sign up for that. Uh, And then I've got a website, therapyforthought.ca. Um, I offer individual psychotherapy services in person in Burlington and virtually as well. And I'm also running a CBT group for women with perfectionism in February. Um, that'll be taking place in uh, Oakville. Love that. Awesome. Yeah. I'll make sure to put all of that in the show notes. Terry, thanks again for taking the time. This was awesome to, uh, to chat with you and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you very soon. Thanks, John, for having me. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks.